ridden with anxiety. Um, Particularly, they were anxious over their friend, the Apostle Paul. Paul was uh, likely in Rome at this time, and he was imprisoned uh, for the gospel, and possibly awaiting, well, he's waiting word on whether or not he would be actually executed. And the church at Philippi loved Paul, and they are very nervous about what is going to happen to him, what might happen to, to them, and they're anxious. And Paul writes this letter, in a sense, to, um, to speak to the anxiety that they have and actually uh, point them to hope in the gospel. Philippians, actually, I, I, it's a book that is very thematically related to what we were just, what we have been going through this last winter in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. Both Ecclesiastes and the book of Philippians, uh, both are, I would say, centered in a, in a sense around the theme of joy, right? As we were going through Ecclesiastes, that was the refrain of Ecclesiastes is, what is better for a man than to eat and drink and, jo- and, and find joy in all his toil? Uh, Philippians itself, in that sense, might be like a New Testament complement to the book of Ecclesiastes because uh, the book of Philippians is also an epistle of joy. Um, interesting, when we talked about Ecclesiastes, uh, there was really one big message in relation to this idea of joy and just kind of reviewing for you all because it's going to contrast a little bit with the way Paul is going to approach this. In the book of Ecclesiastes, if you remember, the idea, and I gave a whole message on this, that joy does not come from the stuff and that joy does not come from the circumstances, but that joy itself is the gift of God. Remember? He, he spoke about that. We, t- we contrasted it to the Marie Kondo type of approach to joy, that, that joy is in the stuff and joy is sparked by the stuff. And what we, the main theme of Ecclesiastes is that life is perplexing and difficult and short. And if, we tr- if we're trying to extract the joy from our stuff and from our circumstances... It is going to lead us to vexation and frustration. And that, that's the main message of the book of Ecclesiastes, is to receive joy as a gift from God's hand. As we fear God, as we follow God, as we acknowledge him, as we, as we look to the things that are eternal and waiting and lasting, that's the source of joy. And I don't think the Apostle Paul would disagree with that. Um, but... Maybe that's not the full picture either. Because I, I, you go through your life and you know you receive joy from people and you receive joy from circumstances and you receive joy at times from stuff. I was thinking about that song, Because He Lives, How Sweet to Hold a Newborn Baby and Feel the Pride and Joy He Gives. You hold that newborn baby and there's joy. You are with friends and family, relationships, and there's joy. Uh, you, you relax after a hard day's work, and there's joy. You go to the works and eat a hamburger, at least for me, there's joy. Sometimes I just sit there and I go, oh, thank you, God, for this hamburger. It's so good. Caden knows what I'm talking about. And I don't think the book of Ecclesiastes would deny that there's joy in those things. You know, the, po- the point of the book of Ecclesiastes is we're trying to extract the joy of life from those things that are temporal and fleeting and um, trivial. We're, we're going we're to be left dissatisfied. And the book of Ecclesiastes is actually telling us to, 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 to receive the joy from the things that are lasting and eternal and ultimately from God. And I think the Apostle Paul would agree. And in the book of Philippians, he's writing to that anxious church, and Paul writes in the book of Philippians about the things that brings him joy in his relationship to the Philippian church. Last week, we looked at that, uh, the first 11 verses, and we saw that Paul found a great deal of joy in the partnership in the gospel that he experienced with the Philippians. He says, I always pray with thanksgiving for you, 
always in my prayer with joy because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Our relationship in the gospel has brought a great deal of joy, Paul says. And today he's going to speak of something else that brings him joy. In fact, he's going to speak of a joy perspective. And a, but, but just so that you understand where this aligns with the message of Ecclesiastes, the thing that brings him joy is not in the temporal, it's not in the fleeting, it's not in the trivial, it's not in the breath, but it is in what is weighty and substantial, connected to the eternal matters of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's going to be my main thesis today. I only have really one point. Oh, John, can you make sure that it's uh, you're on the... Um, that's brought up to the front. There we go. I only have one really main point. It's at the bottom, and we'll read it in a second, but that Paul's joy-producing metric, the standard at which he evaluates the circumstances and the stuff of life, his joy-producing metric is simple in this passage, and it's this. Is the gospel advancing? Period. That's it. That's, that's the weighty, substantial thing that brings him joy in his circumstance. Is the gospel advancing? What's the gospel? If you've been here, I hope you understand, and you could articulate for yourself, you could articulate as well as I could, what is the gospel? If you're newer here or newer to exploring the Christian faith, I would say the gospel is simply put a proclamation. The gospel is simply put, it's a proclamation of good news. The gospel is the proclamation of the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. Right? Get it. It's not what we have done for God. That's not the good news. The gospel is the proclamation of what God has done for us in Christ. The gospel is the proclamation that though our sin, meaning putting ourselves as the autonomous author of our life, rather than living our lives in obedience to our creator, that our sins and our selfishness and our self-determination have brought about separation and have uh, offended God and his sense of justice. And as such, in that offense against our creator, we actually have violated God's justice and are under God's wrath. Our sins have separated us from our God. We were under a sentence of condemnation for our rebellious treason against our Creator. However, God, out of His love for us, did not leave us in our condemnation, but sent His Son into this world to seek and to save the lost. He sent His Son into this world to live in our pain, in our suffering, to live among us in our sin. He came and He showed us the compassion of God as He lived, and He came and He showed us the love of God as He died. He died the perfect substitute, standing in our place for our sins so that forgiveness of sins could be offered to us on the basis of that proclamation of what God has done for us in Christ. This is the message of reconciliation that whoever would turn from their sins and turn to God, through Jesus Christ, would find forgiveness of sins for his sake and for his glory because it's about what he has done for us rather than what we could ever do for him. That's the message of grace. It's the message of love. It's the message that has changed the world. It's the message that we saw last week where the Apostle Paul had a vision of the risen Christ. He saw Christ. And then he had a vision of this great call, this great commission, where he would go into all the world, just as we are called to do, to, as the church, to go into all the world and proclaim this good news of what God has done for us in Christ. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet known Jesus, 
for who he is and seen him and loved him as he has loved you, I pray that today, and I appeal to you, and I pray that the Spirit will be speaking to you in this moment in a profound and powerful way that God has done something for you in Christ. He has demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And as we stated last week, Paul's given his whole life to that message. He's given his whole life to the proclamation of that good news. That vision we talked about last week, that vision that like a little mustard seed, the kingdom of God would spread throughout the whole earth. Paul's vision has been realized as the church has taken that message of good news into every corner of the globe. And it's an awesome, amazing thing to give your life for. That's the only thing that will last past this breath of life that we talked about in Ecclesiastes. And now Paul's in prison. He's been imprisoned for the proclamation of the good news. He has been opposed, he has been persecuted, and now he has found himself imprisoned, facing death. And like I said, this now here is a letter given to an anxious church where Paul's trying to encourage them even as he himself is possibly facing death. And it's the joy epistle. That's the perplexing part of Philippians. How can Paul find joy facing death? Well, if, you, if, you, if your standard is comfort, you won't find joy. If your metric is worldly success, you're not going to find joy. Paul's metric and what produces joy in him, his metric for looking over his life and his ministry, his metric is, is the simple question, is the gospel advancing? And that's what he writes to them. That's what he writes to the Philippians. Here's my metric. Is the gospel advancing? And because that's my metrics, I can write to you this letter of joy. I want you to know, brothers, that what's happened to me, my imprisonment, my chains, what's happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What, then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Amen. Uh, Lord, I pray that we might have that perspective, that metric of the Apostle Paul, that we may also look over the situations and circumstances of our own lives and live for the gospel. As Paul says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If only the gospel is advancing. Open up our hearts to your word as we continue to look into it this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. So, so Paul just lists three things out of this. In this, in this short thing, Paul just t- speaks about three things where he's able to find joy. He's able to find joy in these things because the gospel advancing is his metric. So he talks about his constraints. He talks about his friends. And he talks about his rivals. Right? Very simply. Talks about his constraints, his friends, and his rivals. So his constraints, his, his, his constraints that are imposed in him, he can rejoice in prison because the gospel is advancing. I want you to know, brothers, that's what's happened to me, has really served to advance the gospel. It's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Hey, hey guys, I want you to know I'm in prison. You're worried about me. But man, this is good, good stuff. It, He is able to find joy simply because the metric that he's using, the perspective he's using, Christ's gospel is advancing. 
The mention of the Imperial Guard here suggests that this is the, indeed the Roman imprisonment, and that's one of the reasons why we, we assume it's that. And that's really important. If this is the Roman imprisonment that's mentioned at the book of Acts, it actually says something pretty profound about what Paul means by when he says, my imprisonment is for Christ. Because I, I think you can take it two ways. Like, uh, there are people today in our world, many people in the, in the persecuted church, whose imprisonment is for Christ, that um, they, they're in prison, they're slandered, they're, they're suffering for the gospel, um, quite simply because the, the nature of that, the message they preach is drawing opposition. And, is, and, and I, that's true about the Apostle Paul. He was preaching, he went back to Jerusalem, he's preaching this message of the free grace of, the, of God in Christ Jesus, and, and crowds, hostile crowds, are the ones who arrested him, or got him arrested. But I think actually, if this is the Roman imprisonment at the, mentioned at the book of Acts, it's actually uh, something actually more profound. Because what happens is, the, 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 last, the last ten chapters of the book of Acts tell the story of the Holy Spirit moving in the Apostle Paul's life, convincing him that he, as the minister of the gospel, has to take the gospel to Rome. So the Spirit is telling the Apostle Paul, your service as a missionary is completed, and now you're going to be going to Rome where you can now preach the gospel in front of Caesar's household. And the, so that the last 10 chapters of the book Acts are it's clear the Holy Spirit is sending Paul to Rome, but the mechanism that's used in those last 10 chapters in the book of Acts, the mechanism that gets Paul to Rome is not going off on a missions trip. It's not him sailing and planting churches along the way to Rome. The mechanism that gets him to Rome is he's going to Rome in chains. He's going to Rome as a prisoner. And, and this is the amazing part. At one point in, in the book of Acts, at chapter 26, he's before the King Agrippa, before King Agrippa, and King Agrippa is a lower king serving still in that region of Samaria, in that area we sometimes refer to as Palestine now. King Agrippa is king over that area, and he's uh, a trial. Paul's on trial before him. And King Agrippa, at one point, Paul in that trial says... King Agrippa, you actually have no right to determine my case. I am a Roman citizen, and I appeal to Rome. And because of that appeal to Rome, that is how Paul goes to Rome as a prisoner. And King Agrippa actually says, in Acts chapter 26, he says to Festus, he says, this is, this is remarkable, this man could have been set free. He hasn't committed any crime. He could have set, been set free except for the fact that he appealed to Rome. What this means is that Paul's constraints, his constraint at being in prisoner in Rome is actually, to a degree, a little bit self-imposed. Paul knows the Holy Spirit is calling him to get to Rome, and he's there not as a missionary, but as a prisoner, but it's almost like it's, it's, it's constraints of his own making. So he's, he's not only a prisoner for Christ in the sense that it was his preaching of Christ that got him arrested, but his imprisonment was for Christ in the sense that he understood that the Holy Spirit had led him into this place of constraint. He understood the call of God on his life. And he understood the Holy Spirit had said, you will be my witness in Rome. And the mechanism by which he got there, yes, was as a constrained prisoner. Now, this is important to us. It's important to us because every calling, every single one of us who is called into this great commission we talked about last week, every single one of us is placed into the body of Christ, into the commission of God to serve as a member of that body and to serve our place in the Great Commission. And there are constraints around each of us. What do I mean? You're not in prison. I mean, I got a friend, we, Matt, who came here. You know, he, he's serving right now, finishing up his time. He, it's been amazing, actually, because some of the stuff we read and I kind of take and apply to us, for him, he does this, like, literally. <laughs> 
And, um, but he talks about the joy he has, even in his constraints. But we're all constrained. We're all constrained. Every job, every calling, every vocation has its opportunities and its limitations. You get hired by a job. Okay, great. What an opportunity. You get to work side by side with co coworkers every day, shining your life before them, having hopefully conversations about the gospel with them. But, but obviously that job puts constraints on your time and on your energy and on your activity. Huh? You find a spouse. Hallelujah, what a blessing. Great. But you lose some spontaneity, autonomy, freedom. The Apostle Paul speaks about this, and uh, he, he recognized that reality in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. It's a good thing to find a spouse, Paul says, but it complicates things. I remember being a missionary in China. I was single at the time. Students call me up 11.30 at night. Hey, do you want to go play pool? I don't know, in China, we'd go play pool at like one in the morning, you know? And I'd be like, yeah, sure, sounds wonderful. And I'd go and I'd stay out till like two in the morning playing pool with these people and sharing life and sharing the gospel with them. I was a missionary there. It was wonderful. Uh, if you call me now at 1130 at night and say, hey, Pastor Dan, you want to go shoot pool? I'm going to be like, yeah, I probably want to talk that over with my wife first. <laughs> like, you know, Different life stage. There were, I loved being single, man. I really did. And where's Jean? She, she knows. So we, we, we do premarital counseling. We talk about this, right, with couples. And I, I loved being single, and it was, it was awesome, the opportunity that is. But marriage is a good, good thing, too. It's a different calling. There's constraints. There's opportunities in both. You have a kid got a lot of young parents in here. There's joy in being a parent. There's opportunity. There's probably the, the biggest and most demanding opportunity to be a discipler is to raise your kids and to teach them. But it constrains your time, your energy, right? You, you may have to pass up other opportunities because you're constrained by these. My, my point is, you're probably saying, yeah, just get to your point. My, my point is that whatever is our circumstance or situation in our life, there are constraints. I'm, I think about, yeah, Tony, I, yeah, your, your hearing is a constraint, right? Quite a bit. But, but Tony does online ministry where he's, you know, texting people. You can't hear very well, but you're using other gifts, right? So there's, there's constraints but there's opportunities. If you are living for the gospel, even the constraint of death can serve to advance the gospel. There may be a proclamation of the gospel at your funeral that you never would have had the ability to do in your life. There could be. Death means nothing to us if we're living for the gospel. All that matters is that the gospel is proclaimed and is advancing. And so Paul's words here would encourage and instruct us in two ways. First, to understand and discern our individual call, circumstances, as given to us by the Lord for the advancement of the gospel. To understand, I don't care who you are. If you're a member of the body of Christ, if you're a child of God, God has placed you in circumstances and in callings for the advancement of the gospel. According to your gifts, according to your calling, yes, sure. But he's placed you in this body with gifts to be used for his glory. 
So that's first, is consider your calling. Second is to rejoice when the gospel advances. That that would be our metric. And Paul could say, I'm in chains for Christ. But man, let me tell you, they send me guards every four hours. They, 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 at, at the end of the book of Acts, people could still visit Paul and he could still teach them. And yes, there's guards right there. So as he's teaching disciples, those guards are hearing what he's saying. And then their shift is done and Paul's like, ha, 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 here comes someone else. And he says, everyone in Caesar's household, the entire imperial guard, knows that I'm here for Christ. At the end of the book, in chapter 4, he says there are members of Nero's household that have become Christians. Paul's like, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm in Rome. And God's gospel is advancing through my chains. So that's the metric. Secondly, Paul speaks about his friends. Through emboldened friends, the gospel is advancing. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. They speak from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. And that's why I rejoice. Christ is proclaimed. And I will continue to rejoice. Paul, this is the cool thing. People saw the chains of Paul. They saw his constraint, they saw his joy within the constraints that he was within, and they became all the more bold. Paul's in chains, Paul's suffering for the Lord. We're free. And they became more, all the more bold in their own proclamation. And they saw how Paul found joy in his constraints, and then they had joy as they're sharing the gospel with others. They took more advantage of their freedom. And now here's the thing. And this is a little bit of our human tendency. If we're in a place of constraint, like say we just had a new baby and, you know, you're not as active and out of the house. Maybe, maybe you're a real evangelist or you're, you're real, you know, you need to be out with people and sharing the Lord and sharing the faith with others. And, and then you have a, a baby and then it's like, wow, I, just, I can't do that anymore. And you're, you're struggling with that. And then you see your friends still being able to go out and do those sorts of things and you can become envious or... Or jealous about it. You, you know, you're sick. You've constraints in your sickness or in your health, and you see healthy people, and you can become envious of them. I wish I didn't have these constraints, Lord. Take these constraints away. And maybe He will. Maybe He won't. But what Paul could do, which is really interesting here, is he, toward his friends, that were becoming more bold because of his imprisonment. Paul didn't say. Oh, man, I wish I was not. Paul could say, man, that is awesome. That's, that's awesome. I love to hear what you're doing in your freedom, even as I'm here in my chains. I'm rejoicing because the gospel's going out maybe even more through you as I am remaining here in my chains. And he could take joy in the work that God was doing through others. And it is a hard thing to do. We, at the, many of us want to be the center of attention. We want to be the instrument. Through, we're narcissistic. We want to be the instrument through whom the revival comes. And Paul's able to say, man, I'm so happy for my friends. I'm so happy to see their boldness increase. I'm so happy to see the gospel advance. Because that is his metric. Is the gospel advancing. And you want to know the extent to which this was Paul's metric. Paul could even rejoice through his opportunistic rivals. Put ambitious. It's, the word didn't fit on my first screen, so I changed it to ambitious. But it's really opportunistic is the right word. There were some people that Paul says here. Some indeed preach Christ from rivalry and envy. They proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and I will rejoice in that. It seems that there were uh, rivals who were taking advantage of his imprisonment in order to expand their own influence over the church. Now, now, now some commentators might think that these were maybe Judaizers, like 
I don't, like, people who are like, you got to become Jewish before you can become a Christian, and Paul dealt with them a lot in his ministry. Probably not. Because, like, in other parts in the New Testament, Paul calls them not preaching the gospel at all. It seems these might have been people who were trying to enlarge their own ministry, enlarge their own ambition, taking advantage of Paul being in prison to direct people to themselves. And, um... To direct people to themselves and, and are trying to hurt Paul out of envy and jealousy. They're preaching the gospel, but they're trying to enlarge their own impact, and their own name. Ambitious people seeking their own kingdom, people hungry for control, trying to accumulate prestige and control over the church. And there are people like that today. There are ministers. Like, listen, there are ministers like that today. I'm not gonna, I, don't, I don't know need a name, but I'm not, I'm not going to. But there are ministries like that today. We're, we're, we're seeking to advance our own acclaim. And Paul believes, Paul believes that these men are actually doing this out of jealousy and envy and rivalry. And yet even in this, Paul is able to rejoice. And this is the weirdest, one of the weirdest passages in the Bible. It's one of the strangest and most perplexing ones to me. Like Paul could say, these are my rivals. They're doing this to try to hurt me. But they're still preaching the gospel, and I can rejoice in that. And the point is, it just goes to show us how much this is the standard by which Paul judges and, and, and holds the circumstances of his life. This is the metric. The gospel advances, I can rejoice. Period. To Paul, these aren't his rivals. And he doesn't become bitter. He says, I can rejoice. The gospel's going out. That is the simple message today. The gospel is the metric. So, is the gospel advancing? That's our source of joy. Not in the fleeting things, not in the... Not in the trivial things, not in the, you know, breath things that we talked about in the book of Ecclesiastes, but in the weighty, substantial things. Is the gospel going out through our lives and of our ministry? I would just leave with asking two kind of reflection questions, not meaning to, you know, the point of this is not to pour guilt upon you or on myself. The point of this is, is that we might take these things and pray about them. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the good news of salvation in Christ the source of joy in your life? Is it that which for you live? Is that the thing you live for? The gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that I, I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind and now I see. I once was hopeless in my sin and now I'm forgiven and I'm a child of God. And that message motivates me and inspires me. And that's the message I live for. I live for the gospel. As Paul says later in this chapter, for me to live is Christ. Period. Your workplace, in your workplace, is for you to live as Christ. The theme of your workplace is for you to live at Christ. The theme of your household, your family. Is it the theme of your marriage? Is it the theme of your parenting? I'm asking about myself too. For me to live is Christ. Is that the thing that I am living for? Is that the priority? Or am I still seeking after the things I don't believe Solomon and I don't believe Paul and I'm still seeking after the things that are trivial and transient and fleeting? That's, that's the only question that truly matters. It's, to me, is it true that to live is Christ? And is the advancement of the gospel the greatest ambition of your life? No matter what happens to my career, no matter even what happens to my family, no matter what happens to my friendships along the way, no matter what happens to my health, no matter what happens to my aging, no matter what happens if persecution comes to this country and we find ourselves in chains, 
No matter what happens in my life, is it true of me that I live for Christ and for the advancement of his cause and his kingdom? Heavenly Father, we pray to you today, and I... Lord, it it seems a very simple message today, and it has been, but it's been something that I believe myself and others have been wrestling (laughs) with great difficulty through. Is it true, Lord Jesus, that we are truly living not for ourselves, but for you? Is it true, Lord Jesus, that we are finding our joy not in our things and in our plans, but in you? Is it, is it true, Lord Jesus, that we are living for the advancement of that great good news proclamation <laughs> rather than the advancement of our career or our name or our reputation? Lord, I, I pray, God, that uh, you would take this message and help it to sit in our hearts. I pray that you, for each one here that you'll take it and uh, help it to even be praying through this week, thinking through our own advancement, our own circumstances, our own constraints, and seeking to how and in what sense and what way we can be finding greater and greater joy, not in the trivial things, but God in the things that matter. Lord, I pray for those in here who don't know, maybe they, as, I, as I spoke today, they're like, what is this? They, they don't know... Um, they, they don't know the power of the gospel. They don't know the, the power of knowing you. They don't know the, the joy of just sitting in your presence, being called your child. Lord, I pray that uh, they might see today and, and bow their heart before you, come at your feet and call on you, Abba, Father, and that you might give them a new heart. You might give them a new purpose. You might give them a new life. You might grant them a new forgiveness. Lord, that we might be truly living for something that matters. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to move into a time of actually response and worship uh, to our King and, and exalting Jesus and proclaiming Jesus even as we sing, even as we share together in the joy of singing with one another. And so uh, would, you, would you join us in, in singing out? Uh, we, this is, we're, we're admonishing each other as we sing in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, uplifting the name of Christ in our midst. And so uh, today, sing out. If you're here today, if you, um, if, you, if you know Christ personally, if you've professed him publicly through your baptism, uh, through the end of the service, we're going to be taking uh, the Lord's Supper together. Uh, you can take a cracker and take a cup, the, the cracker signifying the body of Christ that was broken for us, the cup signifying the blood that was poured out on our behalf so that forgiveness of sins could be offered in his name. Um, so, so if you're here today, you know Christ and you've professed him publicly, just help by taking, take a cup and a cracker. We'll celebrate together at the end after singing. If, you're, if you don't yet know Christ, uh, it, it's not for you, but we're not trying to, you know, single you out or anything, but just help us by passing the cups along and, and the trays along. I'd love to speak with you more after the service about how you can know Christ. If you're here today, you're not yet baptized. We'd love to walk toward that with you as well. And uh, yeah, we'd love to celebrate that with you as well. So, um, yeah, I'll turn over to our, to our worship team now. Thanks. As 
was too possessed by faith what I could not earn all surpassing gift of righteousness knowing you Join my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Oh, to know the power of the risen life, and to know you in your sufferings, to become like you in your death. Join my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. And knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my and I love you,
for sin in a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand beside great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness morning by morning new mercies i see all i have needed thy hand hath provided great is thy faithfulness lord unto me let's stand together and and proclaim that christ is risen sin through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death sing sing
Thank you. 